Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Baffling questions, astounding questions, that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. You are listening to Geeky Brummy. Hello, and welcome to this Geeky Brummy special show, where it is just myself and Miss Keith Bloomfield. Hello. Just us. Just us. Nice nice and quiet. Yes, me, myself and Keith. We attended ICE Birmingham 2018, a couple of days, weeks ago, depending on when you're listening to this. We thought we'd tell you about our tales of adventures and what we got up to when we were there. Yeah, ICE, ICE is a good show. I mean, we've it's been going for a few years now. And, fifth year um, this year was really five years. Fifth wow, year. it doesn't feel that long at all. Uh, it's organised by um, Shane Chebsey. Yes, who's done a great job, and I kind of know Shane from the, uh, doing the Big Stays a, a while back. And it's it's good for Birmingham to have a very comics centred con because what what you get is you get the two days. So you get the day, which is kind of the kind of meet the guests, get your sketches, listen buy, to some panels and stuff, yeah, buy some back issues. Yeah, and then you've got the comics and covered bit, which is the bit that's kind of geared towards helping people who are looking to break in to the industry in some way or other, where they do portfolio reviews and masterclasses and stuff. So it's a good it's a good weekend in kind of getting that idea over of of you know the importance of comics as a storytelling medium and not as you know a springboard to a blockbuster movie or whatever it is. But Shane does really good with the guests he. He, he has, and, and we're lucky because a lot of them are local guys and girls, so it's oh. really good. I mean, he does bring in some fantastic foreign creators. So this year he brought in Ronnie Ramos, who's worked with Marvel and DC, yeah. and is a big, big name in the comic book industry. Yeah, I mean, we were lucky because he did a, a panel with Barry and David from Geek Syndicate. And mm-hmm. what was really nice about that was his talking about how he went through the studio system yeah. uh, for Marvel and working under the kind of guys like uh, John Romota Sr. and... Uh, Mark Taxiero and stuff, and you know that that idea of these studios of guys working together to produce comics yeah. was kind of really insightful, but also kind of shows how different the comic scene is now well, with people just really doing it. interesting to hear this factory line setup that they have. Oh, yeah. Somebody did the pencil, somebody did the inking, somebody did part of the background, somebody did the coloring, yeah. and somebody did the lettering. And well, pe- people learning the trade and, yeah. and not having to be perfect. The yeah. moment they tried to 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 work in the comics industry, which is which is really interesting, and, it's... and that was another amazing thing for that panel when Staz Johnson was there yeah. talking about how he got his break into the industry, which was uh, through um, not regular means. If you check out the Geeks in the Good podcast, but even then he was saying about how his style wasn't perfect when he first began, but he got so much feedback from the people at 2000 AD on this is how to correct yourself this is how to develop your style and this is how to become a great comic book yeah. creator if I look back at the work of the, those artists who I revere and love you know and you look at their first strips that they were doing in comics I mean you can clearly see that these guys are talented but you can also clearly see that they, they are learning their craft over time and becoming mm-hmm. these you know these these legendary characters that um, that we all look 
at now as being like the pinnacle of comic book art and and now the pressure's on for people to be able to produce you know professional grade work straight out of the gate yeah. it's like you have no time anymore you've got to do it straight yeah away there's no there's no there's no room it. to learn the craft of, of of making comics and stuff so which is quite interesting but i think that's the that's the beauty of having something like ice with comics uncovered is there's a room there for people to talk to editors talk to creators yeah to to kind of you know develop and shape uh, their work and and kind of not get bogged down in the kind of you've got to present the best quality work straight away. Um, right. Yeah, I mean the other big name there was Alejandro Vitti, who's yeah. done loads of Marvel's stuff in the past. Marvel Zombies probably the highlight. Yeah, some amazing stuff. But as you mentioned, there was quite a great amount of small press creators there, indie publishers. Mm. I mean, Steve Tanner was doing some stuff with Comics Uncovered on the Sunday. Yeah. I mean, on the Saturday, we had we spoke to the lovely Jason M. Copley, who's released his book there on the day, Amnesia Agents, Tony Cooper, who we've spoken to on the show in the yeah. past previously. The lovely Ian Richardson, who we always shout about on this, and he needs to be doing more comic interiors, and just give oh, him the Captain oh, Britain just, series. Yeah, just give him a regular series to um, to illustrate. I'm, I'm, you know, I, don't, I don't think he'd thank us when he He's kind of churned out 400 pages of work no. over the next 12 months. But yeah, but I mean, the the, the thing is, is, all these guys are so charming and so likable and so able to talk to the, the people that are there. It's great. I mean, I'm reading the um, Wildstorm series at DC at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the artist on that, John Hunt Davis, was there and stuff. And they're just such great guys. And, you know, Phil Winslade, who's, yeah. who's got new series, new episodes of Lawless in the in the uh, magazine. And, mm-hmm. you know... Um, we, John McRae. Yeah, I mean, John's got a new um, book out through uh, Image. Um, yeah. Which, you know, hopefully he's going to propel him to the stratif- stratospheric heights that he deserves, really, because he's been putting out such good work for so long that, and you know... Also John Wagner... Who yeah, Rock the Reds, and well, you can't really mention his name without saying Judge Dredd and yeah. it along. But the one thing that I always love about ICE and comics-focused conventions like this is the creators are always willing to share passion and share yeah. knowledge and say, "This is how I got my break," or "Show me your portfolio. Look, look what you're working on, what you're doing here. How can you be better? What what techniques do I use? How what's mm-hmm. my creative process?" And they're all willing to share and talk and just have a general chit chat and it's all about a love of comic books and the medium yeah. of comics it's always viewed as something that's childish or puerile because it's not text focused but when you think about the amount of work that goes into the drawing the illustration the amount of people who go are involved in the process of creating a comic book and getting it onto a shelf it's a lot it's a lot of time and a lot of effort mm-hmm. uh goes into this and it is it is a great medium it was one of the things that as a as a kid gave me pleasure reading mm-hmm. you know they they were stories that i could you know relate to they were stories that took me to different worlds different universes and i don't I have no regrets about being a, a comic reader and and even though i've drifted away from it as a as a as a, as a reader for a few years mm-hmm. you know it's easy to get back into it because there's such a wealth of of incredible stories being told out there beyond the kind of you know the yeah. marvels and the dcs there's so much stuff going on out there and it is a, a truly diverse industry regardless of what you see online there you know there is an awful lot of different voices different uh world views making their making their you know voices heard in comics i mean one of the things that we'll hear a little bit later on the show is the beano panel it was great to hear such diversity amongst the four 
small panel people we had there talking about their experiences being you know, completely different. So you had an Emerson who had a background in underground comics. You've got Lou Stringer who's been doing amazing work for nearly 40 years now. Yeah. You've got Laura Howell who was brought through a coaching process and a mentorship. And then you've got Nigel who was kind of like, yeah, I... I I write Dennis now. That's the thing is that you've got such a wealth of talent. We we kind of forget how talented all these people are and yeah. how how much their stories and their art influences us because it does yeah. it does work its way through eventually to films and TV and books. You know, there's a lot of the, this influence leeches its way. Yeah, you know, and most people. Even if they haven't read a comic, we'll know who Spider-Man is. We'll know who Dennis the Menace is. We'll know who all of these characters that, that I mean, are part of The costumes of our... you see in every single superhero movie have come out straight out the page of a comic at some oh, point. Yeah. If you look at Captain America's outfit, that, yeah. that's been so driven by the comics, even the multiple progressions. It's always come from that original comic book style. The multiple Iron Man suits we've seen all have a backstory in the comics. Mm. They're all a nod to the original source material. Yeah, which is possibly one of the things that Marvel gets right with its characters is is having faith in the designs that were in the comics. That, yeah. that, you know, the, I mean, practically some of them aren't recreatable, but no. the the iconography of yeah. those costumes is still able to be recreated, and that's what we play into those the styles, the colors. You know, it's it's an incredible thing. But yeah, yeah Ice is it's really nice, and it's one of those things as well. There was lots of com- you know, it was talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really great, but it makes me really. I wish I was a more rich billionaire because it would be great to be able to just buy everything yeah. that's there. It's a, it's a, it's a. Sometimes you feel really guilty that you go around and go, oh, that's all so nice, but I've spent all my money already. You know, because there are certain things that you go, I, I really, really want this, and I'm, I must get it. Mm-hmm. And then you go around the corner and you go, oh, you just spent all my money, and now I want this as well. But then that's the kind of thing is that you can go to a show again later on yeah. and go right. I bought that last time. I'm buying this this time and, and stuff. And people who are doing Kickstarters that you've missed out on as well, being able to go yeah. to a show and sometimes get better, you know, get get a sketch and get a, a signature for a couple of extra quid and stuff is always yeah. quite nice. I mean, that's the joy as well. I mean, most of these creators, it's a brilliant place to meet them and you can always go back and approach them and they'll do yeah. commissions. They'll do, if you want something custom, you, they're more than happy for you to reach out and just say, what do you want? If mm. I've got a spare slot in my commission schedule, I'll definitely put in for you. I mean, as we've mentioned, Ian, is one of the most loveliest people I've ever met doing this radio show and his passion for comics and that, the, the speed he draws at as well the quick turnaround, I mean one moment we're speaking to him, he was just starting on Judge Dredd's helmet and I come back 10-15 minutes later, pretty much finished the entire sketch and was on working on something else and it's like, how how do you make magic that quickly? Yeah, it's, it's incredible stuff though but it's, it's that thing it just kind of lights that fire in you again when you're kind of around it you just go oh, this is why I love it this is this is what it's not the the Funko Pop vinyl or the tie-in toys or whatever it or is or the media it's, guest who you've seen at 15 of the panels yeah it's kind yeah. of like here's the guy who spent 15 hours drawing that page uh, that you maybe you might have flicked past in 10 seconds or here's the guy who's drawn the comic book cover which has probably taken him a month of his yeah. life if he's doing the pencils inking and coloring but but it's an image that either you remember forever or or is you know ingrained into your memory of forever because it's like it's the thing that enticed you into yeah reading a book and we're gonna move into a few of the panels that we've recorded over the day so we'll catch up with you a little bit later 
Uh, hello, uh, my name is Laura Howell. I'm a comic artist, surprise, surprise. Um, I work for the Beano and have done for about the last uh, 11 or 12 years. I've uh, drawn lots of characters in that time um, Tricky Dicky, Bebo and Zuki, Johnny Bean. Um, but excitingly, I've just started drawing Minnie the Minx, uh, which is one that people will actually have heard of when I tell them that I draw them. Um, I've been into comics since I was very, very small. There's never been a time in my life where I haven't had comics around me. Um, they've always been tremendously influential on me. Uh, I basically just love funny fiction and comics is the best delivery system for it. Um, and since I've become a professional comic artist, I've started coming to uh, conventions whenever I can. I love to meet other comics fans. It's really nice to get some direct feedback about what my work means to them. Because um, normally, as a comic artist, you're just at home, you know, on your own or with your cats. Not very great at conversation. So you kind of work in this little bubble. So actually speaking to comics fans is, is really brilliant and I'm glad to have the chance to do it. Um, and I very much hope all the comics fans who have uh, come to uh, ICE this weekend have had a brilliant time, because I definitely have. Do you want to do the, the book to where people can find you and follow you online? Oh, social media. Um, okay, uh, you can find me online um, basically uh, at Victorian Clam is my handle on pretty much all social media. Um, I have a website, laurahowell.co.uk. It is in chronic need of updating. Um, but if you want to see what I was drawing up to about 2014, then that's the place to go. Um, yeah, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I'm there, Victorian Clam. So welcome to the Beano 80s panel. I'm Keith, that's Ryan. We're Geeky Brummy. We do a weekly live radio show on Brum Radio, which gets turned into podcasts and mixed cloud bits and pieces, so you can find us online. But we're honoured to host this panel, and we've got a set of wonderful guests for our first official uh, panel. So we've got Bruce Stringer, Nigel Parkinson, Hunt Emerson, and Laura Howe, who are legendary in terms of uh, the British comic scene and the Beano itself. Does anybody read the Beano or have read the Beano in the past? A few of you, so you've got a bit of knowledge. Uh, so you know that this year, uh, Beano is celebrating its 80th uh, anniversary, so it was published first published by DC Thompson back in 1938. Um, the first person to ask, were we in the first issue? Step outside. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a staple of many school kids' early years, yeah. those kind of like... Uh, I think it's more than likely the, probably the first comic you'll pick up. Yes, that's what we designed it for. So yeah, so it's yeah. kind of like... So it's, it's, oh, it's the, right, there is a panel now. <laughs> so it's the home of many kind of famous characters, people you'll have heard of, people like Dennis the Menace, Minnie the Minx, Bash Street Kids, Numbskulls, Roger the Dodger, Billy Wiz, uh, and of course Nash the Dog. But I think the main thing with the Beano is it's reverential now in its 80th year, but it's reverential in its irreverence. It is for fun, it's for mischief, it's for humour, it's, it's to delight in the joy of comics. And as I said, it's quite a lot of the introduction for people into the comics industry. A lot of people, it will be the first thing you pick up, mainly usually because there's a sweet stuff to the front cover or a little toy. It's changed, it's developed over, say, years. Unfortunately, it's not going to people with the family anymore. It's gone online, it's got a new TV series out. But I think the weekly periodical is the thing that people love and care and know and enjoy the most about the Beano. If you were a reader of the Beano when you were a child, 
When did you first discover it? How did you first come across the, the Beano as a comic? Well, I first read the Beano back in the days when I was a small child. And I used to read every comic going, because I loved comics. And look what happened to me, so let that be a lesson in it. I, I literally don't remember a time when there wasn't comics in our house. They just kind of magically appeared. And the Beano and the Dandy were two of the first ones that have magically appeared, which was probably when I was about four, I think, kind of just starting to read. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's literally never been a time in my life that hasn't had the Beano in it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Beano is one of the first comics I read as well. The Dandy was the first one I had. And then a few months later, I started having the Beano as well. It was great, you know, I was about five years old, and it was a great way to sort of boost your reading ability because words and pictures, it's appealing. Mm. So it, you know, I got into all the comics as well and sort of carried on from there. Well, I, I loved the kids' comics when I was small, but we weren't allowed them in our house. No. We, were, we had to have look and learn and be <sighs> and things. But uh, I used to see them at other people's houses. I remember going to visit a friend once and his big brother came in while we were playing. His big brother was a teddy boy, a full teddy boy rig with the hair and the drape jacket and everything. And his girlfriend. And he came in and picked up a huge pile of Beano's, Dandies, Wizards and Wizarding Chips and all those sort of things. Chucked half of them at her and half of them at me. And I was so impressed. And the Beano and so on have always been like teddy boys reading matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's so how I'm going to think of them from now on. <laughs> what was your first favourite character? Everyone looks at me. Uh, okay. <laughs> I loved the Bastry kids then. I love them now. I'd like to draw them every week, please, but I don't get the chance. You see, the Beano was one of many comics in my day. We had, you do about 20 comics. And they're all pretty similar in that they're all basically ripping off the Beano in some way or other. Bastry kids, they were my first favourites in the Beano. I'm going to be quite boring and agree with that, actually. Oh. Because I remember having the Bass Street Kids annuals oh, yeah, as, yeah, as well yeah. as the um, Beano annuals themselves when I was uh, little and they were uh, always good value for money. Because, you know, you've got a gang of kids, they're all doing something uh, different and mischievous. You get greater density of jokes. And the teacher's nose is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, again, Bastard Kids is my favourite. Oh, <laughs> you know, you, you sort of see yourself in there and, you, you, and your mates as well, so you all sort of uh, identify with the, with the thing. Of course, you know, you identify with yourself as Danny the leader. But, uh, and some of well, Toots funny. the only girl. Oh, it? Yeah, <laughs> stuck with that one. Uh, the Iron Fish was a favourite of mine, which is an adventure strip, because in those days they had adventure yeah. strips at the Beano as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The Iron Fish was a, a small submarine in the shape of a swordfish. It was a great design. The, uh, this, this lad was piloted it and he'd navigate it around the sea fighting crime underwater. Plausible. Oh, yes, it's crime underwater. But that, that really depended on there being uh, conscription in the country. Yeah. It made no sense without that. The, the other one that I always liked was General Jumbo, who had the, the tall oh, yes. soldiers and yes. the thing on his wrist. But the bits I always liked best was where the reader's voice came oh, in, yeah. or the artist's yeah. hand yeah. came in. Great models, then. It's quite interesting, actually, that any of you went for Dennis the Menace. Mm. Sorry, the, the, <laughs> which is the flagship character now of the Beano, and it's, it's where it sold us. We've had two TV series of Dennis yeah. now. Um, he replaced Biffo the Bear off the cover back in mm. the 70s. He came into the comic himself in the 50s. Everybody... As soon as you hear Beano, do you associate Dennis the Menace? Uh, well, as I draw Dennis the Menace every week, 
I kind of do associate it with the beer. But uh, Dennis was never my... Stop the tape, or whatever it is nowadays. <laughs> Dennis was never my favourite character. And fa- frankly, I used to leave him to the last, because there was always better stories with the others. I couldn't understand why Dennis was always in a frowny, bad mood. What's the matter with him? <laughs> now that I draw him, I understand him completely. <laughs> Okay, start the table. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting that you picked the, the Bash Street Kids because it is one of those ones that I think because there's somebody for everybody in that yeah. that makeup of that group. This what you said. Well, I think we'll start from this and we'll go from the along. It's like, what do you think is the enduring appeal of the comic and its characters that's allowed it to survive for 80 years? Because I think it's because it keeps up with kids. That it, um, it changes itself as children change. There was a while when I was first working for them that it, it had got a bit stodgy and they were relying a little bit too much on people's dads. And so they were doing a clothing range, you know, T-shirts and things, but they did them in adult sizes as well. And it was going a bit, a bit wrong. And then they had a change of policy, change of editor and change of policy, and it picked up again. And these days, um, there's a writer called Nigel Octoluden, who I think is the strongest point of the comic just now. It's hilarious. He writes well for kids, but he, he understands kids as well, it seems. But that's, that's it, really. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the fact that it doesn't change that much. So the parents and grandparents can pick it up for the kids, knowing that it is, because they're, they're identical, they can see the character doesn't change that much. So you know, you know, they know what Vino is for the kids. Um, but also it has moved for the times in, in that it's modernised to a certain extent, you know, so you've got to give them the, the corporal punishment, of course, that has to go and things like that. Don't um, why. <laughs> and you've got, you know, some longer stories now, so that's, that's better for kids to sort of get into, because things like Simpsons come to have longer mm-hmm. stories. Yeah, you know, I think it's, I think the fact is, it's stability in that it's, it has, it's still identifying the characters that you remember from years ago, but also, you know, moving into the modern age with, you know, a slicker look to the comic or anything like that, which is helped. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Lou and Hunt about the whole uh, keeping modern while still always respecting its roots. You know, it, it knows what the core characters are that people expect to see in there, like Roger the Dodger and Menace, Dennis the Menace and Minnie and Bash Street Kids and everything. But I, I, I think it also benefits just from the, the diversity of strips in there. The fact that you've got so many characters and so many kind of tones of, of strips... It's, it's like a kind of larger version of the Bass Street Kids. There's something for everyone in there. You, you know, you might not like this character, but you love this character, and you quite enjoy that character. There's, there's always someone you can, uh, who will really appeal to an individual reader. Yeah, I suppose that's all true. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Picking on the point you made, Lou, um, the comic has changed over the eight years, and think that's part of its success and how it's managed to relive and reinvent itself and keep it popular but do you think it's having the grain of the original comedy that we cut out of Dundee in the late 30s and still carried through the entire room? Yeah I think there's I think it's the best of both worlds really because it's had to change to reflect modern times um, and the, the style of humour is different you know you can't do the sort of style of humour that was in the 50s which was influenced by the goon show and stuff like that you've got to do the sort of stuff that kids would relate to these days um, so I think that I think obviously they are doing, doing it right because it's it's still around and the, the sales have been picking up the last three years. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know, and I think Laura is right. You know, the variation of characters because kids pick up other comics like The Simpsons or something like that. It's just The Simpsons. Whereas with Beano, you've got this variety of, of characters, but they're all in the same universe, so they all intermingle with each other's strips, which is 
thought of something I could say. You want me to say? Yeah. Yeah. To me, there are, there are two beanos. There's the original beano, like this, which is full of funny animals and magic and silly things and adults. And then there's the beano from 1951 onwards, which is full of kids in an urban background being kids. I mean, people can relate to that because they've all been kids in an urban background. And uh, we want to be, be in the gang, you know. And uh, like you said, there's a page for everyone. Like I never used to like Dennis when I was a, when I was a kid, but I used to love the Bastard Kids. And so it's, it's still like that today. And we st we've still maintained that sort of a policy of making it uh, real rather than magical. You know. Birds or ants from the Yeah, pulling tails, pulling monkey tails. Yeah, well, what's funny about that? <laughs> <laughs> so how did you kind of break into comics and start working for well, DC Thompson as the publisher, but for Vino specifically? Is that working there? <laughs> um, <laughs> how, did I, how did I start? I just begged. I begged them. I said, please let me be in the Vino, please. And I did that for 17 years straight. And so they said, oh, come on then. See, let's see what you can do. But I was in comics from quite a young age because I can't do anything else. And I thought, when I was about 18, what am I going to do? <laughs> am I going to get a job? Didn't fancy that. Or go to university and be a sort of academic. Didn't fancy that. And I thought I might be in a, in a band. That's something I thought I might do. But then I thought, no, that sounds like hard work. It all sounds like hard work. What sounds like the least work? I don't know, drawing, I'll do that. <laughs> and so I just decided to do that. I approached several publishers. And after a brief, a brief visit to France, to Paris, in October 1980, I came back energised with clown faces. And I've only been to Paris and I was on the main. And uh, I just sent <coughs> off one parcel of drawings to DC Thompson and one to uh, IPC magazines, as they were then, which is the London one. And they both replied saying, yes, we'll try you out. And I got a little taster of being in the business from that. Um, yeah, so I've always loved drawing, but I kind of never had the confidence to to attempt to do it for a living, um, kind of until I was in my late 20s. I've been working as an editor for a children's book publisher for the last kind of seven or eight years, and approaching 30, I thought... I, basically, <laughs> I thought if I don't attempt to see if I could do drawing for a living now... I probably just never will. I'll stay doing this editing job forever. And it just so happened that around that time, there was a course running here in Birmingham designed to help people break into the comics industry. Punt here was one of the tutors and um, also working for the Beano at the time. I started helping out him out with the strip he was working on at the time, Rats, uh, which I still miss, quite frankly. It was a good strip. Yeah. Rats was great. Um, and via that route, I got my work under the editor's nose, and uh, he basically said, well, we'll try you out with a page, and that was, what, 11 or 12 years ago, and been in there more or less constantly ever since, which still seems quite amazing to me. And I believe you just mentored another batch of students, ready for... Yes, that's right, um, there's a new version of the course that's running this year, and... Um, the, the students are here, I think. I haven't actually got to see them yet because I've been behind my table all the time. Uh, but you can seek them out and talk to them. Um, it's called Create the Break. 
Um, so yeah, another 12 years down the line, maybe one of them <laughs> will be sat here. But the course that was running, Laura was the best student uh, by far. I got her to send some stuff up to the Vino, to the editor, I told him he was going to get papers. And he told me that they get loads of subs, uh, submissions the whole time, and they're, they're, all, they're usually lousy. And they opened her envelope, pulled it out, and just said, right, what we're going to do with her then? Went straight in there. Yeah, I've been working in comics since 1983, and although I've been working for Marvel UK and IPC and, and various other publishers and Viz and stuff like that, um, I just couldn't get into uh, DC Thompson, just get sending me rejection letters. Uh, so we've got our quota of artists, you know, that, that's, mm, that's what they used to tell me. Yes, <laughs> we've got our, yeah, four. And then out of the blue, uh, around 98, something like that, they, they offered me a, you know, a couple of pages on the summer special, being on summer special, or, seven, or 96, something like that. The one with the photo cover. Um, oh, yeah. And then, so I did a couple of uh, pages for that. Then didn't hear anything else again for a few years, and then they got in touch again. I mean, I was busy doing other stuff, so you know, it wasn't wasn't a hardship. And then I, I had some work on the on the fun size beaners, which oh, was like really a um, digest size, like uh, commando comic size comic, and I did some stories for that. Uh, and then about 10 years ago, I did a series called Super School for the Beano. So finally got into the weekly comic and um, uh, did a series called Super School, which was um, kids, superhero kids at school trained to be superheroes. And I really enjoyed that. And it was a popular strip, but, um, you know, these things are to change things around. And uh, so it, it was uh, dropped after, after a year or two. But um, I've done other stuff since. I mean, I'm not a regular one in there every week, but I do sort of runs for about three months, six months at a time on various characters. Yeah. How did you start? What was your start? <laughs> I came at it from a very different end and yeah. angle. I started drawing underground comics uh, for adults, and um, that's how most of my career went. Um, at some point, I don't remember when exactly, but at some point, Morris Heggie asked me if I could do some work for the Dandy, and I was too busy really doing other stuff to, to take that on. But then a few years later, uh, I needed work. And I got, got in touch and said, do you still want me to work for the Dandy? And he said, no, but you can come and work for the Vino. And that's where it started there. And I was very grateful at the time, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as you mentioned there, you started out in underground comics, and I think you all worked for different comic books over the time. So just working for the Vino, you have to change your mindset? Do you have to get into the mind of a child to get... Well, first of all, I had to try and think and to, to draw like Leo Baxendale. But I very quickly realised that actually what they wanted was my style of drawing. But I filtered it through Leo to start with, because you have to, because of the characters and things. Um, and I think we all come through Leo to some yeah. extent. That was, the, that was the thing that had, that had changed in 1951 when Dennis was introduced pretty quickly. People like Leo Baxendale and Ken Reed and, and others saw that there was a change and you could do something really great. And the, the, the biggest talent to emerge from that was Leo Baxendale because he designed and wrote a lot of uh, Bash Street Kids, Minnie the Minks, Little Plum, Banana Bunch, and others. So, really, the, the look of the Beano is not. But Leo Baxendale, and still is to this day, because Dave Sutherland, who took over from Leo Baxendale directly in 1962, 
He's still drawing bastard kids every week. And he's only 24. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Laura? Yes, say something. Um, yeah, what was the question again? What was the question again? <laughs> oh, do you have to change your mindset oh, when yes, you're working? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, mo most of what I've worked on since I've become professional has been stuff that has been geared towards kids anyway because I do license things as well like regular show and um, things like that um, and I suppose you know to an extent um, that's winking at the adults and the students as well yeah. um, but um, I don't know I mean I, I whatever I'm doing try to make it look silly that's that's my natural instinct i don't like drawing anything that isn't humor comics it just it doesn't interest me unless i'm trying to amuse someone basically yeah i mean um there is a, a i think there's more flexibility on the Beano these days for scripts because uh nigel after only does a different kind of writing than used to be the norm in the Beano, and to try and get away from the old thing where you end up with a pun things like that um, I missed the puns. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but uh, art style, yeah, you do have to sort of adapt to sort of being a look, really. I mean, otherwise, I normally sort of do a bit more rendering and things like that, but you have to make it more simpler for being a um, So there is, there is a way, but uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes it's easier to do than other, because I used to work with vids, so obviously you're thinking that kind of, yeah. not just the adult humour, but that kind of rhythm of story is completely different to the stuff in the, in the Beano, which is, you know, less dialogue. You know, that's a smoother, uh, cleaner sort of, in every, every way, type of uh, storyline. Much, much cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nigel, you hold the, the title of the official artist for Destiny. And you've talked about people like Leo and stuff. What does it feel like coming onto a strip and having to take over from people like uh, David Law and, and David Sutherland and stuff? In, 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 you know, keeping that, the legacy and the legend of those artists. Yeah, yeah. it's tough. Now, it is tough because I took over directly from David Parkins, who's one of the most talented, uh, gifted. I mean, you can just draw anything, it looks fantastic. And I was really in, in awe of having to follow him directly. But then I realized there's all these other people behind him and the, 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 the length of time that Dennis has been going, suddenly it's thrust upon my shoulders to carry this board for a while. But that's all it is, it's just for a while. There'll be someone else after me and you have to, you have to look up to me. So that's quite good too. But I don't know, it's just, it's just something you, you I didn't ask to do it. Uh, they just said, now you're the dentist artist. Now, who me? Yeah. So you just have to do, grit your teeth and do it, and hopefully uh, you do it okay. You've said that obviously dentists has changed over the years from the 50s. Yeah. How much of an influence on that change do you have, or is it all coming from the writers? Um, the look of Dennis is kind of down to me. I mean, it's quite a long story, but about 20 years ago, I did a, a fill-in Dennis, and I made it look just like David Parkins, I thought, and then looking back at it, I thought, are you kidding? That's rubbish. But I realised that was going to be very hard for me to do. So I was going to, if I did more than one, I thought, I'll try and just edge it towards the way I'd like to draw it if I get the chance again. And of course that happened quite quickly. Since Nigel Oxalum has been in, and we've had a sort of a revamp of, of the Beano, he and I speak quite, quite often. And we've decided we're just gonna do what we think is funny. 
And so we've maintained things like Dennis's knobbly knees, which the kids always notice and comment on when I'm drawing it. It never even occurred to me before that it was a feature. It's just his knees. Wow. But they're knobbly. And his hair, apparently, did 27 strikes. Who knew that? You know? Ah, you see, some, some faces I think like, can't be right. But it's true. And um, so we've decided we're going to change the look of it the way we want it to be. And then <laughs> if someone at the bureau says, oh, you know, we don't like this, we just take it back and do it as we used to do. But we're gradually winning. We're gradually winning. Laura, as the first female artist on the Beano, was it quite a big achievement, do you think, that yeah. allowing the female artists to come through into what's probably a quite male-dominated... We try to keep her out of I think sometimes people approach this as if, um, you know, DC Thompson had some kind of big sign in their window saying no girls for several decades. I think the truth of the matter is, and I think this is also a slightly pop- unpopular opinion, I think there are not so many female artists who are drawn to humour titles. There's a lot of women in the industry, but you tend to find them clustered in certain areas, more in kind of slice-of-life comics, manga-style comics. They'll be the majority most of the time in them. But there's not so many women who want to draw silly stuff. Because, you know, we're, we're raised from a small age to be the, the sensible, responsible ones. There's a small minority of people oh like God. me who just go, nah. Well done. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think... Right. I think the main obstacle possibly has just been women not wanting to do it. I certainly had no concept growing up that I wouldn't be able to ever become a, comp- a, pers- a professional comic artist because mm. I was a girl. That never even occurred to me. Mm-hmm. My main concern was, can I draw well enough? Um, so, yeah, and that was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So I would I would hope that girls now aren't more hung up on it than I was decades ago. I mean, I think there's been a few internet artists that have come through, people like Sarah Braley, Rachel Smith, they seem to be coming into the industry now, and it'd be great to see them coming into the humour a little bit more. Definitely. How much of the, the, the makeup of your course is, is, is female artists? Is it pretty evenly split, or is it kind of... <coughs> Next question. Oh, you see. There's none. No, we've got one. Oh, one. Um, but, uh, yeah, she she is um, more skewed into the uh, the humour comics, so that is good. Okay. So is it just the theme, you think, probably separates out having... Female artists, just that they're just not in that much into that kind of humour comics. I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, you can't generalise to an extent because there's always going to be exceptions. I mean, I think if you got a certain large enough sample size of, of comics and broke it down as to what genre they are and the gender of the creators, you would find the the clustering, more or less, the way I'm describing. I think things are definitely improving. The internet is definitely helping. I think there's there's more women online doing fantastic illustration. I don't know if anyone on Twitter's um, seen the Visible Women hashtag over the last couple of weeks. There's been some absolutely astounding artists um, posting stuff under that hashtag. The most important thing is just there's, there's no obstacles mm. to uh, any random 
female creator wanting to get into the area that they want to get into. So I'm pleased that Lou mentioned Super School a bit earlier. <laughs> obviously with the boom in superhero TV and films, are you pushing for a kind of big screen or multi-part TV <laughs> adaptation of Super School? Well, we'd have to get back in the comic first. I mean, that, that was the, maybe I should sort of ask about that. Because it would seem obvious, wouldn't it? You know, I think so. yeah. in, in the movie. But yeah. because they've got Banana Man, I think they're thinking, mm -hmm. oh, well, we don't need another strip of superheroes. Um, so I just came on there, was it? Oh, we didn't need another. So I think he's down to that, really, because um, they don't want too many similar characters. Although it's full of naughty kids, I know, yeah. <laughs> We've got one psychotic maniac in Dennis and another one in Minnie, so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've got, um, you said you've got this shared universe. It's the perfect opportunity. Yes, I've got it. Yeah, I've got it. Well, thank you. Let's make it happen. Let's march on Dundee. Yes. Bring back Super School. Yeah. But you're talking as though we have any influence on no, the exactly. well, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, We get told what to do. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's down to us as an audience to go. Yes, yes. please do. Yes, that's that, it. that hashtag, bring back Super School. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's that's right. right. The audience have got more, the readers have got more power than the audience. Oh, yeah. yeah. In uh, making decisions like that. Yeah. But would you like to see it happen? Would you like to see, just in general, more uh, adaptations of the characters getting into the TV or film? I mean, it's probably a little bit difficult with going one page kind of well, stories of a book, but they're, they're is, all strong characters. There is going to be, isn't there, a yeah. thing that's happening next year, which we can't really speak about, apparently. Were you not? Yeah, everything oh, well, we just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been on social media. Oh, it's on social media, so it's fine. Minnie the Minx is coming to TV. There you go. Oh, really? Yeah. Great. That should be good. It's live action as well, isn't it? It's live action. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's not, uh, what's it, Charlotte Coleman in Educating Marmalade, which would be brilliant. She's That's dead. But, uh, um, yeah, it's someone else. So, so things are happening, that's good. Yeah, yeah, things, yeah, so anything's possible. Hasn't there just been a Banana Man musical as well? Oh, yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. And there was a movie in the works, which was stalled. But, you know, it's possible. They're all out there, they're all ideas. Funding is out there, too. You mentioned earlier artists don't have much control with comics such as Venus. Does that, was that a massive career change from when you were doing your underground work to working on something like the Venus? By the time I got onto it, I was... Um, experienced enough, let's say, to be able to just take it on and do it. Uh, it was never any difficulty. I regret, because I, I invented Rats with Laura for the Vino, and that ran for four, five, six years, something. Mm -hmm. And I regret the fact that they dropped that. They don't seem to have any plans to bring them back again. Other than that, you know, it's just a case of, okay, what am I going to do next? couple of strips I've had to do for the Beano that I really didn't like. Fred's Bed was one. And uh, the Nibblers as well. Eight bloody mice and a cat in every frame. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember you doing the uh, it, was not, it didn't go on for a long time, but just a pain to do. You know. But, but you know, it's, it's what they want you to do, so yeah, you can't it. sort of argue about it. <laughs> no point in saying, oh, I don't want to do this. Well, I think it's the same, because the, although the Beano has these um, characters that are in every week, Roger and Dennis and Bash Street and things like that. Um, then there's other sort of yeah. characters like the Nibblers and Rats and Big Ego and stuff like that, which are going to come and go, yeah. or or come and go and never come back. Like, <laughs> yeah. <over there>. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. unfortunately, you, you might really enjoy doing doing a strip, and then it's well, I'm sorry, we're only doing it for six months. 
when they do bring rats back, they'll give it to another artist and they'll do it better than we did and I'll hate it. <laughs> and then it'd be better to use it at once. Impossible. I think they've just moved away from uh, funny animal strips yeah, in yeah, general. Because I, yes. I, I miss Mebo and Zuki, but that's not yeah. coming back. Yeah. Is it very cyclical, the kind of type of story or type of strips that, that are appearing in the, in the comic? Well, they're going through a thing at the moment where the for the last few years, where they brought it all into Beano Town, mm -hmm. and now all the characters interact with each other in their stories, and you know where they live. Mm -hmm. There is a map of Beano Town. You, you see the block of flats where um, uh, the, the blind boy lives and the Bass Street kids, the short sighted one, and, and you see Dennis's house. Mm -hmm. And this thing, at one point, they had a <laughs> an American Indian reservation in the corner of the it park. <laughs> a little plum. That seems to have gone. Um, but they do have Duck Island in the park, which is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I like that. It's got jungles and dinosaurs in it. That was the first thing that Nigel Oxlooney wrote. Uh, he did a couple of tryouts, but the first successful thing he wrote was the Duck Island story. Yeah. And they thought, oh, this, this kid will go far. <laughs> it was just a brilliant idea, wasn't it? It's a good way to do the more fantastic characters. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't put them in the urban setting, but yeah. you can go to Duck Island and anything can happen there. So mm. you might even get the iron fish back. Who knows? But it's a pond. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. But I think we should have more variety. I'm oh. a bit sick of it always being Roger and Millie and Dennis and the Bastion kids. Or even loads of characters we could have. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be on my brief now and I'll stop. <laughs> Also, if you guys, it's the 80th anniversary of the we bring back some yes, come on, bring them back. So there hasn't been much opportunity for new characters to come in this morning. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Big Echo was brought back and they did that for six months, and Paul Palmer was doing Pippo uh, the Bear. I that. Um, so I think after this year, you probably might see some new stuff coming out. So when I, I was very small, comics was one of the gateway things for me to, to find out about reading and in the pleasure of reading. Do you think comics still have an important role to play? in introducing the pleasure and the joy of reading to young people. Yes. Yes. Definitely. We've done this thing this summer, the uh, summer reading challenge, mm -hmm. and Laura will tell you about it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do, they do it in libraries um, every year. Um, they uh, assign a theme and get kids to uh, read at least six books over the course of the summer. Mm -hmm. And the theme might be, like, um, it was Animal Agents last year, or um, Heroes and Villains, or mm -hmm. things like that. And uh, the kids get rewards for, for reading. They get stickers and bookmarks and uh, a medal at the end if they get all if they read all six books. And this year's reading challenge was uh, was Beano theme. So every library up and down the country you will have walked into over the six weeks holiday. There's yeah. been Beano themed banners and posters and stickers and, and everything. Yeah, all the librarians I've spoken to because I've done several workshops this summer, um, Beano themed ones. Um, they've all been really happy with it. It's increased the kids' uh, appetite for books and and for the Beano itself. So win -win. it's win-win. Exactly. Were they having to read six Beanos or six, six books? Beano annual? No, 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 no. Books. Six books. Yeah. yeah. It's good. I would like to read six Beanos. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a medal at the end. Yeah, well, Beano themed medal. 
<laughs> so sitting on a local library, they've had some like local artists doing kind of uh, Dennis the Menaces in the window. Well, I'm not sure that's allowed. Licensing. I think I have to do Dennis, isn't it? <laughs> the world's changed quite a lot over the last 20 years since the last big celebration, 60th anniversary, with uh, the internet becoming the thing it is now and a lot of stuff moving on digitally. Do you think there's still a place for a comic yes. in hands version? Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think. What you don't know is about three years ago, uh, DC Thompson had the choice. And they had the choice to either move the Beano more online or to really push it as a weekly comic. And they decided to really push it as a weekly comic. This is probably news to everyone. Uh, <laughs> oh, I said too much. Uh, anyway, so they're really behind it and are, and are committed into a 10 year plan to do that. And that's over those last few years, the Beano sales have increased, so it looks to me like we'll always be doing it. And you know, something about having, you can hold the Beano, you put it in your pocket, you can take a video wherever you go, and whip it out and for a few minutes, enjoy it. And bring it to a comic show and get it signed. That's the thing you can't do with your tablet, because you can't sign it. <laughs> that was one of the joys of me as a child, buying my copy of the Beano. It was my copy of the yeah, Beano. Exactly. It wasn't my parents buying yeah. it for me, it was my pocket money. I made the choice, it was my thing to hold and to own. And I think that's one of the big important things yeah. about the Beano is it's, it gives you that sense of ownership at a very young age. Yeah. It's interesting that they've managed to get the, the readership up as well. With the as comics move from the local corner shop for the newsagents, yeah. and you get less and less newsagents in mm-hmm. supermarkets and stuff. And if you walk into your local supermarket of choice, you're presented with a, a massive amount of I call plastic tap. On you know, it's very difficult to find a good. Comic. When I was a kid, it was great because you had Love Wizard that. and Chips, you had Bunty, you had 2000 AD, you had loads of different things. Well, it was my sister's. Oh, okay. and she did like it. I, did like, I did also like to read Misty, which is one of the nice things about stuff coming back. But um, it's interesting that they, they managed to do that with as, as the, the market to get hold of comics yeah. is shrinking. Yeah. They can actually still do that, which is quite do you, do you miss having oh, yeah. corner shops full of, of yeah. comics? I'm thrilled of going in and just seeing it on the shelf. All the great new titles, crisp white paper every week. Yeah. It was fantastic and terrific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the Beano is more important than ever down. at the moment because um, when you walk into uh, WH Smith's or your supermarket or whatever, you know you you see the the kids comics area and it looks like it's really full to bursting. But yeah. if you look closely at them. There's virtually no actual comics no. there. They're all magazines. Yeah. They're themed around unicorns or um, Octonauts or yeah. The Simpsons. Yeah. or They're tying things with merchandise or TV or whatever, and there's hardly any actual no. comic no. content in there. The Beano is one of the last pure comics left. Yeah. Just going back to the thing about bagging and free gifts, well, yeah. Beano hardly does that anymore. No. Never does it. I mean, it was one of the things I always remembered as a child was getting a free sweet with it, but it would always be something small. And yeah. like nowadays, you get a giant plastic They went through a period a few years ago yeah. where they did it virtually every week yeah, and they, yeah. they dropped it. Yeah. It's um, an occasional They do it for special weeks, so it's yeah. for Christmas like once or every three school months holidays. Or it's like about a quarter of a year. Like that. Yeah, so yeah. it's about yeah. four times a year. But going back to your point of licensed issues, there's usually only three or four of those actual copies there because the, the thing yeah. attached to them is usually so massive. Yeah. It takes up a third of the shelf. I mean, I've been lucky about a comic. 
Yeah, well, well, I'm afraid that might be where it starts, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I said to the publishers, that's what you should be doing. Ah, uh, <laughs> chance of the failure of that comic. Well, oh. yeah, I mean, they're, they're so bulky, they sort of slide all over the place. Yeah, and, and there's stuff stuck at the back. And the little things just start appealing to casual readers, so unless you're particularly searching for a certain comic or a beano, it might be stuck behind something else, you know, you're not going to find it. I'm talking about news agents, you know, like they're saying there's not many comics in news agents. So I'm sure, you know, if the beano was stocked by more shops, you know, it would sell even, even more. Yeah, yeah. It's a matter of finding it. That's true. But I live in a small town called Liverpool, and uh, I, there isn't a shop that sells the beano in my in the, mm. It's a city to me, it's a city. Uh, in the whole city, just can't get it. Sadly, you think it'd be something that schools could perhaps get into. Like, mm-hmm. When I was a kid, it was Puffin Book Club or whatever it is. Yeah, that's right, yeah. A way for schools to become part of that, having you know a regular way of people, yeah. you know, kids being able to buy good comics, good, right, good yeah. readable comics. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. we've got, as well as the Vino stuff, one pretty successful comic has been the Phoenix over the past few years, that's which right, has yeah. been a subscription only to avoid yeah. that. Yeah, you can't go. find it in the, yeah. in the supermarket. But I wonder if schools. Or you know the libraries using the Vino as the, the springboard to getting kids reading, where the schools could become part of this, getting kids reading, enjoying. Because obviously sometimes when I was a kid, reading a book was really this is really boring and Ooh. chunky, and I don't like. But with a comic, you could include it was one page. Oh yeah, I love Dennis the Menace. I'll go to Bash Street. Or I'll read the Numbskulls. I'll read whatever. Yeah, so you right. can skip around in it. Yeah. You haven't got to go. You haven't got to slog through it. And um, bounce around. I think yeah. both Hunter Blue and myself will will vouch for that sort of thing because. In our day, we used to have a lot of texts in comics, you know, there were a lot of typesetting and all that. Never and you'd always leave that until so you'd, <laughs> you'd read the comic strips first, yeah. and then you might go back to the, the, the stories later. In, but they were there, you know. In perfect example, in the old days, being able to view the Black Bolt yeah, series right. of adventure stories oh. where you get an adventure story in the middle of the comic yeah. surrounded by your funny stories. Uh, conscious of time, so oh. is there any questions from the audience? Huh? Which style, in your own, in your own interest, which style do you admire or do you mm. typically think you wish I could do that? Or, you know, like... I, I personally find Hans Emerson's style brilliant, <laughs> and I'd love to be able to draw like that. I've, I've had a little go once or twice, but he's, he makes it look so easy, I, you know. It, He's just the master of it. Well, I'm a great admirer of Nigel. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> this, is, this is my friend. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, these three are just brilliant in my eyes. Ken Reed was uh, oh, a friend of mine when I was growing up. I was called Ken Reed. Uh, he was having my own He was the as well. Oh, Ken Reed, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It was very, it put so much into his work, and it was funny. Every panel was funny. Mm-hmm. He, he was absolutely brilliant. So you look up Ken Reed on the internet, his, his, his work's fantastic. <laughs> There's a couple of big collections of Ken Reed's work been yeah. published yes. in the last year or so, yeah. which are, if you're interested, yeah. it's well worth looking them out. Right. Yeah. I've got the flyers on my table for those. Yeah, me too. Interested. Me too. Come to my table. Don't be Laura? Obviously, I can name everybody else on the panel because I'm not going to be the only person that doesn't do that. And it's entirely true. It's hard for me to, to actually pinpoint one person because I kind of... I take a little bit away from virtually everything, every artist I look at. Yes. I'll see a, a way that an artist draws hands or something and think, oh, I'll have a guy drawing hands like that, that looks really good. Or certain facial yeah, expressions, oh, that looks really yeah. good. We, do, we all do that, that's true. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, we all do that. 
Except once, because he knows what's going on. <laughs> There's also, I don't know, I'm flying a kite here. The, the humour comics depend such a lot on the, the story that the, the drawing style becomes a kind of a, a code for telling the story. If you go into things like 2000 AD and DC and Marvel and things, there's a lot more attention paid to the actual artwork mm. and the, the, the complicatedness of the artwork. That's never bothered me at all. I'm, I think the story is by far the more important part. Oh, right. mm. So somebody like Sergio Aragonis, who's yeah. possibly the greatest yeah. comics artist living, he's got a very simple, fast style, oh, yeah. but it's just brilliant. I just love to see what he does with everything. It's just so good. Right. Sales of the Vino are increasing. Do you think there's a chance the Dandy will return? Oh, yeah. this this question no, again. Sadly not. No, I don't think so. Well, we still did the Dandy Annual every year. Yeah. And there's a, a summer special, which is all reprints. The Annual's always on yeah. Uh, but no, I don't. I think the Vino is, you know, it's become its own brand, really. People recognise it as the Vino. The Dandy, because it used to change the characters around more, yeah. it's less identifiable characters in there, so I, I don't think it's going to happen. Although, you know, it has some great, I mean, Desperate Dan is a great character. Yeah. So. There's very few others that, you know. Yeah, but they, they had a revolving door of characters, particularly in the last year or so when they had all the news and all. Uh, I don't think people would recognise it as being a Dandy thing. Although I did like Hunt's version of Desperate Dan, which has never been published. Oh, that was funny, that. Because yeah. Desperate Dan was drawn by Dudley D. Watkins, who was a, who drew from the 1930s or something. And he, his style was very um, very straight, very kind of semi-serious. Yeah. And Desperate Dan was this character drawn in that sort of style. And they were after up, updating it. Mm. And they asked me to draw two Desperate Dan strips in my style. And then they gave my versions to Ken, Ken Harrison, Harrison yeah. and said, draw Desperate Dan in this style. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't get the Desperate Dan job, but I got to put the seeds in for Ken mm, to do right. that. That's why Sully had a, a square chin. Yeah. So there you go. Did, did you answer your question? Oh, the dandy. It was whether the dandy was going to come on. Sorry, no. Uh, the dandy never quite worked for me. Well, I always prefer the Dan to the Vino and just give all of it. Uh, because it had more variety and, yeah. and, and you know different types of art styles, whereas the Vino had a kind of a formula art style. But uh, no, it's happy. Oh, I'll tell you what, Lou will, will, will remember this. There was, a, there was an occasion uh, eight years ago, next week, I think it was, we were in Birmingham and I came in with Nicky and stuff like that, and I brought the first edition of the new oh, yes, movie. Yes, yes. Well, that was thrilling. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah. thrilling. Yeah. Because we thought this could work. Yeah. Sadly, it didn't. But, you know. any, more, any more questions from the audience? I've got a brief question. Now, I'm a writer and a blogger, but I'm just getting into comic scripting now and putting my own independent scripts out towards the end of the year. I'm hoping. Uh, I'd love to be going to write in official humour scripts like this. But I can only write, I can't draw for topic. Mm -hmm. So is there like a zero likelihood of me ever getting hired for Vino? Because you're all multi-talented guys, so... No, they have, they have writers. I mean, they have, we they do have separate writers. writers. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, although at the moment, Isaac Oxford only writes almost everything. Yeah. But he can't go on forever. 
Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, if he ever has a terrible accident, <laughs> 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 he's suggesting he's got in mind. He's insured, by the way. I'll pull yeah. with you guys a ventilator, and hopefully you can make it work next week. We don't know. We'll do our best. You know. He's been getting too big for his boots. Isn't he? <laughs> he is brilliant, though. Like yeah. I've only, because I pretended to be ever so mature and stopped breathing Beano for a brief interlude and it's pretended to go up. And I've just got back into it again recently and it's as good as ever yeah. in my view. And That's I noticed, which thrilled me, there's actually a wheelchair user character as well. Yeah. Uh, Ruby's Tabletop mm. Science, is it? Yeah. And that's my favourite strip in there. And I just like how inclusive it is mm -hmm. and, and positive and how it's yeah. moving in a good direction. That's right. Yeah, there is something for everyone, yeah. whether you're disabled or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Whoever you are, being a kind of representation yeah. in oh, the least pretentious yeah. and most funny way possible. That's and exactly it, yeah. That's it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's we'll right. feed this back to the editor every week. Real challenge. You won't pay it to us, but you can tell We'd just like to say thank you very much to all four of you for taking thank the you. time to come and talk to us about the 80th anniversary of Beano. So if you are around the rest of the afternoon, yeah. all four of our wonderful artists are yeah. upstairs on the, on the next floor. So it's your perfect opportunity to mm -hmm. go and grab your own piece of original art from, of, from these guys. That's so a good idea. Go and, Go and say hello, go and grab. I know mean, Nigel's got some uh, Dennis the Menace badges. I yeah. think one of you's already got one. They're I've actually got one myself. They're free badges. Um, but yeah, so if we could just know, get a round of applause for you. Nigel, you know Laura, it. Lou, and Hunt. You know it, yeah. Thank you. I'm here with Jason Cobley and James Gray, who have launched their book Amnesia Agents here at Ice Birmingham 2018 today. Gentlemen, do you want to describe what the book's about? Well, yes, yeah, it's based around the idea that there's a physical place that your memories go to. So when you forget something or you forget a person, it goes to this physical other dimension called Echo. Um, and Amnesia Agents, their job is to track down missing memories of people that have gone missing and been forgotten who shouldn't have been. So this was based on one of your novels originally, what made you yeah, decide to Yeah, I originally um, uh, planned to write it as a novel, it ended up being quite a short novel, um, but really we took a look at that and thought actually, you know, this, is, this has got everything that we need for a really good comic, uh, it's got action, it's got adventure, it's got a bit of horror, a bit of sci-fi in it, um, and uh, so we went for the visuals, because um, ultimately it's, uh, it's a visual story really. And that's where James Bowman was. Yeah, the yeah, it's, it's been most enjoyable. It's been a longer job yeah. for me. I'm used to five page pages. Yeah. And, yeah. and James came along with a 47 page. It was 48. Yeah, we yeah, get a page we, off we, can, we cut one off, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, and I hope people like it, because yeah. uh, I've really enjoyed doing it. Just, yeah, the, yeah. The, the approach you tried to take with it was that to, to imagine this, that this was kind of it's self-enclosed, but as if it's the pilot episode of a TV series, so that you can take it on its own, but also there's scope in there for, for lots more cases for them to investigate, and so on and so on. And so on. I mean, one of the things I loved about the story is you've got this fantastical world yeah. hidden under pretty much what's a normal English lifestyle, yeah. and it, it gives me that feel of kind of like a Neil Gaiman Neverwhere kind of feel, where yeah. you have this mirror world hidden behind. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Was, does that kind of like a big impact with how you decided to write the story? Was that where you started off with? Yeah, that's right. I wanted to wanted to be set in the real world. Um, 
Uh, and, what, and what I wanted to create was the idea that there is, yeah, there's something that's going on all the time. And because anybody can become an amnesia agent, you can be recruited just like that. Uh, and then when you've done your job, you can be, you can forget that it ever happened at all. Memories are overwritten and restored, so that it could be happening to us all the time. So we just don't know because we keep forgetting about it. It just happened, so, Jason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, exactly. It's a kind of a two worlds intersecting. And it was funded by a successful Kickstarter back in April. Yeah. And for volume two, would we be looking for a Kickstarter to be possibly coming soon? Well, we, we, we've been kicking around ideas. Some of the ideas we've got are uh, perhaps um, some shorter strips that might be part of an anthology. Um, but certainly the, there are lots of ideas there. And we're kind of kicking around what we're going to do with with, with a volume two. It may not be as long as the next one, perhaps. But There's going to be more in one form yeah, or another. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, definitely yeah. going to be more stories, yeah. And James, your artwork yeah. so beautiful in it. I mean, how do you get that depth of colour and shade? Um, no no colour, but shading to give you that exact feeling of colour? Blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I've done, not done that much grayscale comic work. In yeah. fact, a lot of comic work, full stop, to be honest. You might not think that's the case, but yeah. I, I come from a motorsport art background, uh, but I've always done it in a more comic y feel. So I just transferred that graphic designy look into grayscale and it just tended to just came out nicely as well I did have to do the lettering as well but I'll let that one slide <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think we got away with it <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. Uh, where can we find you guys online if people can't attend ice today where can they purchase the book or find more of your works uh, okay, so I've got I've got a couple of blogs. One is writingcobblers.blogspot.co.uk. That's probably the easiest place. Or you can find me on Twitter at Jason M Cobbley on Twitter and go from there. And as for me, at Quagon Jim Gray, Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you for joining us for this Geeky Brummy Ice 2018 special. Hope you've enjoyed the show. I know it's something a little bit different from what we usually do, but we do love appreciate and adore the medium of comic books so a show like this which doesn't come along very often is always worth taking the time to appreciate it's that it's not the beauty of being able to spend quality time with a lot of people Mm -hmm. that it isn't a conveyor belt of celebrities Um, yeah that you have you have got a chance to have a good a good chat about the something that you know is a shared interest a shared passion Mm -hmm. um because these guys are knocking it out of the park with the work they're doing yeah, as we mentioned, the comics books industry isn't the richest of industries, which a lot of people are confused by when yeah. they see these multi-million dollar films on the screen. A lot of the time, the writers and the artists aren't getting a good share at all. Yeah, page rates aren't uh, what you would think they are when somebody's doing kind of um, working a on lot of work. Yeah, Spider-Man or Captain America or something like that. Yeah, yeah. when you think about how much work they've got to do, they got to, they've got to do twenty-eight, twenty-two pages a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you see the, the effort that's going into it, it's hard work. Um, we should just acknowledge that the fact that if it wasn't for these guys, we wouldn't have a twenty movie franchise from Marvel. No, um, you know, and it's it's all due respect to all of the creators that were at Ice and all of the creators that have gone before them that are no longer with us. That yeah. you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, really. Mm-hmm. And, and I must say, hats off and fantastic work again to Mr. Shane Chepsey, who yeah. pretty much. Solos the most of ice every year, and he puts so much effort and heart into it. 
every year and it's always a fantastic show it's always fantastic guests it's always something that we every time we go we come away with something new that we've learned that we haven't seen before it's always a different type of panel of guests he gets in every year we always make sure that a few people like as you mentioned alexander vitti or ronnie ramos who are such interesting characters to be have chance to speak to i mean freddie who we spoke to last year was such a fantastic mm. interesting guy to learn from as he was drawing that piece of mark hamill eye it was stunning to watch him do that i mean the other thing to remember is these used to be a lot of financial support for events like this previously i mean they don't rely on media guests to bring in the droves for the draws they would rely on fans and creators to come and celebrate a medium they do. I mean, Shane's running a GoFundMe at the moment, which we'll tweet the link out to, but you can also find it gofundme.com forward slash help dash ice dash keep dash going dash another dash year. Because it is a big financial burden on yeah. people like Shane who do put on these events. Yeah, and I think it's important that we have it in, in Birmingham because, you know, that we are surrounded by such a wealth of of comics talent mm-hmm. um that to not have a comics focused event in the city would be a real shame i mean we um, have the second oldest comic book store in the country and yeah. that, that tells you something about Birmingham's pedigree with comics and its love and its fascination yeah i think it's just we should bang our drum a little bit harder in terms of um what's going on and who's here and the quality of guests is phenomenal and um you know it's like we shouldn't be ashamed to kind of go yes we are running one of the the best comics focused events in the country more people should come more people should seek it out more people should spend some dollar with those people who are kind of putting their hearts and souls into putting these books together i mean that's the other thing at these events you will pick up a fantastic piece of original art oh yeah for considerably less than you might think from some of your probably your favorite comic creators yeah I mean, it is shocking. I mean, how great quality commissioned art you can get. For, yeah, for not much. At all. Well, in a in a industry that's pushing or or slowly becoming more and more digital focused, the idea of original art is becoming much more a thing of the past. So to have a, a page that somebody's toiled over or that full page commission that you can put on your wall and any you know as as stunning and beautiful as any art gallery's piece of. Um, uh, you know, I'd rather I'd rather have a Ian Richardson hanging over my fireplace than I would uh, uh, <laughs> than a Rembrandt than a Rembrandt print yeah. that has been knocked off in its millions yeah. of copies, yeah. or or some bloke hugging a baby from Athena, uh, <laughs> which will age our audience appropriately, <laughs> and, and they'll have a chat with you and chew the fat and you yeah. know, t- talk to you about it. But yeah, it's good. I I I I like it's it's a good show. I do like going because it is just it's like seeing your friends, <laughs> meeting your mates. And then you go, yeah, I don't really know you, do I? Uh, you just write the comics and I follow you on Twitter, but um, we feel like we're friends. <laughs> we have a connection. It's fine. You don't have to get that injunction out just yet. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us on Geeky For Me this week. Don't forget, you can find us in the week at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Geeky Brummy on YouTube, where our ice video will be very soon, if not already there. And at geekybrummy.com. Yeah. Have a look every Wednesday. I'll pop a few uh, more mainstream comics up on there that yes, might interest you. Your usual comic of the week. 
Yeah, um, but it, I mean, if you if you're reading anything interesting that might have slipped us by, just ping us a message. Let yeah. us know. Drop an email um, to hello at geekybrewery.com. Yeah, because we'd we'd love to you know kind of highlight the, the, all of those kind of small press creators. I mean, there is small press day every year, mm-hmm. but that only comes once once every year. So if there are anybody out there that's kind of wanting to um, shout about their their various comics that they're putting out there, by all means, let us know and we'll give you a give you a shout tweet a link out to where people can pick your books up so mm-hmm. um you know we want to be as supportive as possible that is pretty much it from us today thank you for joining us and goodbye mr Bloomfield. goodbye mr Parrish. and thank you for joining and listening bye everybody bye <laughs>